Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters Podcast. This is Oscar Wei, Senior Economist of the California Association of Realtors. Um, today, we're doing things a little differently. Um, usually, uh, I do the Housing Matters podcast with uh, Jordan Levine, another senior economist at the California Association of Realtors. But I have a special guest today. I want to do things, change things up a little bit. You know, we want to hear some of the voices. So today I invite another special guest um, from Wells Fargo. Um, I have today I have uh, Sarah House. Uh, she's a director and senior economist uh, with Wells Fargo Securities and um, she actually has been doing a lot of stuff with Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo is based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and she has been doing a lot of uh, economic analysis on the labor market and inflation trends and manufacturing sectors uh, from uh, uh, for Wells Fargo, and she has done a lot of interviews with uh, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg News, and the uh, NPR, and um, she has uh, uh, she's an economist and she has an econ background. Uh, she earned her BA uh, bachelor degree with uh, Tulane University, and she got her master from the uh, London School of Economics. So, welcome, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me, Oscar. Yeah, and I know you. Uh, the reason why I want to bring up uh, Sarah is, of course, she's very familiar with the economy and the housing market, but she also recently wrote a an article on millennial. So. Today we're going to focus on our second half of the presentation on millennial and you know whether they want to buy a home and become a homeowner. But before we do that, Sarah, uh, if you don't mind, maybe we can go over some of the um, housing market stuff first, um, both at the state and the uh, uh, national level. Sure. Um, and I know I'm probably a little bit more familiar with the state numbers, so if you don't mind me, kind of give a brief uh, kind of discussion about the state number and then we will uh, talk right into the uh, the national number. Yeah, sounds, that good? sounds good. Good, good. Well, so let's first, I'll keep it brief, I promise, because I, I, I have the tendency of talk uh, for a long time, and hopefully, Sarah, you don't mind. I'm, <laughs> I promise you that we'll keep it conversational. Sounds good. So let's start off with a little bit of information about the um, current housing market at the state level. Now, we just had our state number release in May, and um, I have to say I was a little surprised with um, what happened in May uh, with uh, with sales. Sales actually dropped a little bit um, in, in May, and partly because of, I attribute that to a um, couple of things. One is a pullback in sales, uh, a pull forward in sales at the beginning of the year, and um, Sarah, you probably already know that uh, interest rates have gone up quite a bit um, in the last, uh, in the first quarter yeah. specifically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I know um, you have done a lot of um, studies and, and research on inflation. Um, I know a study, one of your um, inflation study, it went up quite a bit in the last, well, it went up a little bit, I shouldn't say a lot, you know, in, in, uh, since the beginning of the year, right? Yeah, a lot of that on the headline has been oil, but we have seen some of the the real estate portions of, of core inflation also pick up more recently too. Yeah, and and you know because of that reason, I think uh, interest rate, uh, thirty year fixed rate at the beginning of the year went up from uh, I think 
uh, it was below 4% uh, at the end of last year and shot up to something like 4.3 and then eventually went up to, I think currently at around 4.6% for the 30-year fixed rate. And because of that reason, a lot of people actually, uh, a lot of buyers anticipated some uh, additional increase at the uh, second half of the year and many of them pulled forward some of those sales. As such, I think in May, um, we're seeing a little bit of slowdown because of those pull forward in sales. So May actually dropped in terms of existing home sales, it dropped 4.6%. But at the same time, I think I want to attribute the uh, the drop in sales also due to the fact that I think in April, in one week of April, mid of April to be exact, um, in, within that one week from April 16th to April 23rd, there was a surge and. Um, 30-year fixed rate, I believe it went up in just one week by 20 basis point. And in some of the analysis that I put down, uh, I said that because of that one week of search and um, interest rates, it's possible that people might have uh, put off in closing their um, housing transactions within that month, leading to some delay in closing in May. Now, whether that is going to be, that, that is really the case, uh, we'll find out if we see a surge in sales in June. Uh, but uh, it's safe to say that that might have a, an effect. Uh, but of course, we always said, you know, uh, drop in sales has something to do with supply as well. Um, I know supply has been really tight, probably not only at the state level. At the state level, uh, we have less than three months of supply. But at the national level, and I'll, t I'll let uh, Sarah talk a, lo a little bit about it in a few minutes. But I noticed that uh, at the national level, uh, supply also went down quite a bit. Um, compared to say two years ago or so and um, that of course um, I think we see a little bit of a reverse in trend in the last couple months in supply at, uh, at least at the state level uh, from I believe for the active listings it went up uh, in May by 8.2 percent now whether that is going to be a trend we'll have to see how it goes, I personally do not believe it will continue to increase by that much. I believe that there will be some increase in uh, supply, though, in the upcoming months, partly because of seasonal change, partly because of people thinking that, you know, home prices have increased to a level where they uh, may want to put their house up in the market. Now, talking about home prices, um, I don't know whether you guys noticed, uh, we actually hit a new uh, high for California. The state median price went up by uh, went up uh, over 600,000 for the first time and it eclipsed the last cyclical peak last cyclical peak was uh, reached in um, May 2007 uh, with a 594,000 and we just surpassed that number uh, in the most recent month in May 2018 um, and we had a new median price of 600,860 dollars um, that is a huge increase uh, compared to last year. Um, it actually show a year-over-year -year percent increase of nine over nine percent increase. I do not believe that nine percent increase is going to continue for the next few months, but I do believe that we are going to see uh, mid-single-digit increase uh, in price uh, continuing for the rest of the year. So um, I promise that I'll keep uh, keep the uh, state number brief. So uh, let's talk about the national number. Um, because we have a lot to cover. Now, um, Sarah, I know you study the uh, housing market at a national level. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about the uh, national market in general right now in the housing market? 
Well, like I think you're seeing in California, we have seen a little bit of softening more recently. So for example, um, existing home sales fell in May, they're down about four tenths of a percent. And that was the second month that we saw a a decline. So a little bit of softening there. And part of that, I think, does tie into the inventory issues that, that you mentioned, Oscar. Uh -huh. um, contrast to, to the state, though, um, inventory is, is looking even more constrained, um, at least in, in terms of the trend in, in the national market. So month supply of homes is a little bit higher than in, in California. So nationally, it's, it's closer to, to four months. Um, but we really haven't seen any any turnaround in, in the inventory level. So those are those are still down about six percent over over the past year. And so with that that tight inventory level, we're still seeing a lot of upward pressure on, on prices. So um, prices nationally, um, in terms of the median price for existing home sales, that was up about five percent year over year through through May. So just that limited supply is um, is, is definitely beginning to constrain um, constrain sales, but also push up prices and, and continue to erode affordability, um, particularly when you couple it with the with the interest rate rises that that you mentioned. Now, in terms of, of the near-term outlook, sorry, uh -huh. um, in terms of the near-term outlook, so it looks like that will probably continue to see that soft batch continue at least in uh, over the next couple months, and that's because the, the pending home sales numbers we got in May, um, those were also down. So those tend to lead the existing home sales by about two to three months, just given the, the typical time it takes to actually close a contract. So, um, so it doesn't look like we have a, a turnaround. At, at least in the near term, and I think it's really going to take getting those those inventories and getting mo more homes on on the market um, to see those sales numbers rise. And in light of the fact that that we do have those those higher interest rates. Got it. Now I I want to go back a little bit. Um, we talk about you talk about you know inventory. It doesn't seem like we are seeing any improvement um, in the near term at the national level. And if there is, you know, it may be due to seasonal. Now um, we have always talked about you know the uh, inventory issue may have something to do with, of course, new constructions not having enough um, uh, buildings uh, being built. Uh, at least in California, we're seeing a, a shortage between supply and demand at a national level. Um, I think we probably are seeing a similar situation as well, right? Right. So, um, so new construction is is still a shadow of its former self, even though it has improved a lot over the past couple of years. And we can we can talk about the activity we're seeing in, in new home sales here in a minute. But overall, the the construction has still been rather constrained. So, um, the, so you're seeing you're seeing a, a lot more. Um, relative activity in, in the existing home sales market, but you still have some some factors holding holding back that inventory. Where we're we're still seeing pretty low housing turnover. So That's know, for true. a long time, we've either had negative equity. Now they're looking at rising rates, and you know maybe it's just not worth moving if if they're also going to have some some higher mortgage costs. But some of this is also a bit of a, a vicious circle. So you're not likely to put your house on the market unless you see something else that else out there that that you like. If if you're a, a trade up buyer just looking for something that that fits your your family needs a, a little bit more. So 
Um, so it's a, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a cycle that we have with, with those low inventory and, and low sales numbers. Yeah, well, and, and of course, you would think, you know, because, okay, well, we don't have enough people putting up their house on the market. Maybe uh, they can turn to new home sales. And we look at some, we just had some new home sales figures released, I think, recently. Uh, it seems like that seems a little bit more optimistic, uh, a little bit more positive in a way in terms of new home sales. Um, yeah. Is that the case? Yeah, so given the, the tight inventories um, that we've seen in, in the existing market and how that's put a lot of upward pressure on prices, it's made new homes um, relatively more affordable. So typical new homes still cost more than, than the typical existing right. home, but that differential isn't as large as given the, the price pressure that we've seen on the existing market since there's just so little supply out there. So we have begun to see um, more of a shift to, to the new home market. Um, so sales are, are up about 6.7% um, uh, in May. So that more than reversed uh, the drop that, that we saw in April. And it's a bit of a, a geographic story. So um, really what the parts of the country that are doing the best are, are the West and, and the South. And the South accounts for about half of, um, of, all, of all new home sales and, and new construction. And so um, we did see a big increase in, in May for, for that region. So that was part of what was, what was driving that, that big increase there. Um, so you still have some, some low inventories in terms of the, the new home market as, as well, um, but that's, been, um, but that's um, been not as big of a factor as it has been in, in the existing market. And you are seeing builders come back and focus more on single family construction rather than apartments. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, we have talked about in the last couple of years about how the rental market, apartment markets, are they're doing well because partly because of the housing affordability issue in um, California and other parts of the country, and people don't necessarily have the um, down payment to pay for um, a new house. Now, of course, at the national level, uh, the median price is two hundred fifty thousand or two hundred sixty thousand or so. Uh, at the state level or in the West region uh, tend to be a little bit higher. And of course, people will have to save a little bit more. Now that, of course, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, if we are seeing uh, more new homes being built at the entry level, that's great. But at the same mm -hmm. time, I know um, for many of the, um, for many of the uh, builders, many of the um, developers, I can only say it for California. Many of the developers, because of the land cost, because of the construction cost, they may not necessarily build a lot of entry-level home. So that brings mm -hmm. me to the question of um, the affordability for uh, millennials. I know you wrote something about that, um, and it's not the, mm -hmm. the I thought I know the latest article that you uh, released was not the only uh, article that you wrote on millennial before. So. Uh, give me a little bit of maybe an overview of what you think the outlook for millennial homeownership is. Are, are millennial um, being priced out of the market? Are they actually want to be a, a renter, want to be a homeowner? Maybe you can give me an overview first and then we can uh, dive into the uh, specific question. 
Yeah, sure. So I think probably what we, we want to start with is, well, what actually is a millennial? So right, I right. think with most gener generations, you know, it's, it's, there's, the definitions are a little bit fuzzy and, and there's no clear cut one. But when, um, when we look at a millennial, so we use what the Pew definitions, the Pew Research Center. And so um, what we consider a millennial are, are those born in 1981 to 1997. So today in 2018, those folks are, are 21 to 37. So really um, just coming out of college, but all the way up to their, their mid, almost almost late 30s is, is what we mean by by millennials mm -hmm. and so you know this is a pretty pretty wide wide group um, but when we look at the the overall outlook for for home ownership in, in this group you know there's been um, a lot a lot of concern uh, about whether they would ever have an interest in own, owning a home um, even if they had an interest whether they would have an, an ability to own a home but we've seen the the overall dynamics and I think the overall outlook for millennials being homeowners um, improve over the past couple of years as, as the economy has, has gotten stronger as, as well. So things are looking a, a bit up in terms of, of, of in terms of the more recent trends, um, but there are still some some longer term headwinds like, like student debt that are, are an issue, which you know we can we can talk about more how how that's looking for for young households. Okay. Now, um, yes, you're definitely right. You know, there there are definitely headwinds. Uh, there are things that we can talk about, um, and I'm glad that you you know clarified millennial. Um, of course, we have been analyzing the millennial situation for uh, you know for a few years or so. I think back in 2012, 2013, um, when the market after the market tank for a couple of years, um, it came back kind of came back up a little bit because uh, the 2012, 2013, we have the first time buyer tax credits. At that time, we kind of looked at it and said, you know, maybe uh, this is a price point. This is the uh, the um, time that some of the uh, entry-level buyers, some of the first-time buyers can come in and pick up some of the houses. But at that time, we also have um, the economy was not in uh, the greatest shape. Mm -hmm. I know um, – Though there are some factors that are affecting millennials, of course, uh, many of them graduated during the time, or uh, maybe graduated from college uh, at around uh, 2009, 2010, and that affects their ability to buy a home. I know you mentioned a couple of things in your paper about you know the factors that affect um, millennial finances and home buying decisions. Uh, maybe uh, you can elaborate a little bit on what those two factors are and uh, how that affect the uh, housing buying decisions. Yeah, so I think you're right um, in terms of focusing on how you know most millennials either graduated um, right around the the recession or in in the years following it when the labor market up until up until probably just the past couple of years here was you know was was historically weak and so um, that hit to, to earnings has been a, an important factor in, in terms of how millennials are um, looking at the housing market and and their ability to par to participate in in the housing recovery. So, um, you know, if you you want to start looking at, at earnings, so um, as I mentioned, the 
that a lot of a lot of millennials graduate into this weak labor market. Well, research shows that when you graduate into a recession, your wages are lower than what they otherwise would have been for about 10 years, sometimes mm-hmm. even longer. So, so it's not just that you weren't getting paid maybe as much as the the previous, you know, that maybe the class of 2008 wasn't getting paid as much as the class of, of 2007, but it's what that that weakness earlier early on in your career does to your earnings over really the the next decade. So right. you think you're not only are you getting outright lower wages probably, but your annual wage increases that are maybe just cost of living adjustments or maybe merit-based, um, they're not going to be as big. It's going to be harder to switch jobs, and switching jobs um, is, is really, especially early on in, in your career, is where millennials and, and just young people in general um, do see do tend to see higher income growth. And so that's part of the reason that you've seen the, the earnings picture so weak for, for this generation. And in fact, um, even as it's been weak for workers of all ages, you saw uh, millennials have actually seen the slowest wage growth since the 2007-2008 the recession than, than any age group. So um, including for uh, around you know, 2010 to 2013, you actually saw um, earnings for 20, 20 to 24-year-olds, so really your, your recent college graduates, were actually, um, were actually outright declining. Um, so there's um, so there's really been some uh, some slow uh, slow wage income that that millennials have had to deal with. At the same time, um, that was in part driven by the fact that you had relatively higher unemployment. We saw unemployment rise more for millennials underemployment. So the fact that a lot of millennials weren't able to either get the hours that they needed um, or they were working jobs in which they were overqualified was a bigger issue for this generation than we saw for um, for older, older workers as well. Um, the good news is that pretty much all of those factors are beginning to, to reverse, if not already reverse. So okay. we've actually seen um, stronger job growth for millennials over over the past two years. So that even accounts for the fact that this is a bigger generation just in terms of, of size. So if you look at it um, in terms of employment population ratio, they've seen the biggest gains um, out of any other age group. And so not, all, um, so not only are more working, but they're also earning more. So in 2017, we saw wage growth for 20 to 24 year olds and 25 to 34 year olds. Both of those cohorts saw the fastest wage growth they've seen in, in this expansion. So as the, the general economy has picked up and the labor market's gotten a lot tighter, millennials are really benefiting from this and they're actually seeing their income picture improve um, more relative to, to older generations and, and at really at the strongest pace that we've seen this expansion. So, so that's been good in, in terms of, of their finances. That's good. That's yeah. good to know. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Now, of course, the the other big issue for, for millennials is student debt. So this generation right. has more debt coming out of college. And so that can make it very difficult, of course, to, to save for, for a down payment. And when we look at what's been, been happening with, with the debt trend, so you continue to see households under 35, um, we, we continue to see the share of households with student debt trend higher and the typical debt burden rise a little bit. But the pace of that increase in terms of, of the actual debt burdens has been slowing. So it's, it's still a big issue, but it's not um, worsening as, as much as we saw over, over the past couple years. 
And so that's the, the overall debt burden. But what's also been interesting is that um, the debt service, so what millennials are actually having to spend out of their monthly budget on those student loan payments, that's actually begun to tick down a little bit over the past couple of years, even as the, the overall amounts of debt are, are rising gradually. So a couple reasons for that. So one is um, that faster income growth is helping when you look at that debt payment relative to, um, relative to your student debt loan, which is probably going to be, be fixed. Um, the other factor is we've seen a big shift to income-based repayment plans. So rather than um, borrowers having to pay back in 10 years, they can spread the payments out over the, the life of, uh, over uh, in some cases up to 20, even 25 years, and then uh, remaining debt is, is forgiven. So that's kind of taken the edge off of, of those monthly payments right now, um, as well as just generally lower interest rates over the past decade or, or so has helped with, um, with the interest rate portion of that. And so um, that debt service is, is looking a, a little bit a little bit better. And so that's helping households um, maybe save a little bit more for, for that down payment or, or not make their um, or make their finances a little bit stronger in the current environment. Okay. Now you mentioned about uh, student debt. Um, do you know what the, um, do you have an idea what the percentage is that um, um, millennials usually, uh, percent of income that they usually spend on uh, just student debt? or use on student debt, 20%, 15%? Oh, it's, it's actually much lower oh. in terms of what they're having to spend on on a monthly basis. So if you look at what percent of, of income is actually being spent on student debt payments, um, in 2016 for households under 35, they're spending just a little bit less than 4% of, oh, okay. of their monthly income. So it's not, yeah, so it's not nearly as, as high as, you know, you might see some articles in the paper that kind of pluck out one one anecdote. Um, but at the same time, if you think, you know, the, the national savings rate is only, um, only around 3% that, you know, if you're having to pay an, an extra percentage point more of, of your monthly income towards those monthly debt debt payments um, than maybe the previous generation was, that, you know, it, it, it is a meaningful increase when we look at millennials compared to prior generations. Yeah, and, and you know, you said you mentioned, you know, 4%. Yeah, it doesn't seem like, you know, a, a, a really high um, number, but at the same time, I think it's more than just you know the racial of student debt to income, but you know when you spend money, if you spend that four or five percent of uh, money on a monthly basis um, on on um, on um, paying off your student debt, at the same time you actually lose that four or five or six percent or whatever the percentage is for saving. So, so in the meantime, you can't really save up enough for your down payment. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and so, and that's also been a, a challenge where rent growth in, in this expansion has, has also been relatively high. So, um, not only do you have the student student debt payments, but you're spending more on, on rent that can make it very difficult to, to save for that down payment. Yeah, and, and down payment is, we when we talk about the um, housing affordability, of course, we typically focus on the income uh, ratio um, to uh, mm -hmm. how much money you spend on a monthly basis for mortgage versus um, income, but at the same time, I think income, uh, um, the down payment is a huge part of it. And uh, typically, we, we we don't put that into the housing affordability index, but you know that's a big part of it. 
Um, now you see that you know you 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 said that earlier that you know seems like it's uh, improving. Things seem to be improving mm -hmm. for millennial. Um, now, um, are you, are you when you say improving, um, are we um, talking about financially, but also um, millennials are moving uh, to the age or uh, moving into the age of let's say um, a little bit more uh, older, and that's the time when they are uh, getting married or forming family. So. Um, are you talking about both the financial sense as well as their uh, mindset of uh, forming a family? Yes, so it's been on on both sides. So, and I and I think that's been one of the issues um, in in this recovery in general, kind of classifying millennials as um, as you know they're they're never going to own has has been the fact that you know we're both going through uh, a cyclically weak part of. A, a cyclical weakness in, in the economy, um, but also you have that coupled with these longer-term trends where um, millennials are pushing back these these major milestones of, of marriage and, and having children. So, for example, um, today the uh, the average age of of marriage for for men is about um, 29 years old. Well, that's two and a half years older and, and later than what Gen Xers were were getting married at, mm. and about five and a half years later five and a half years later for boomers um, as far as women having their the age of their first child so that's gone up about two years um, since Gen Xers and four and a half years since the the baby boomers and so if you think of those that uh, you know marriage and, and when you start a family is really some of the major uh, milestones of, of when you start looking at, at settling down and choosing a place to to live on on a more permanent basis um, you know we have seen seen that timeline push pushback for for millennials although you know this is this has been a, a slow upward trend it, it didn't it didn't just start with the, with the with the millennials either and so to some extent you know millennials are really just getting to the age in which these these life events happen but also when um, when you start buying homes so the average or the median age of millennials is, is only 29 years old well, the median age of a first-time home buyer is is 32. So millennials right. are just now getting to the age of life where they're starting to look at, at buying a home, and so um, and and going through these these major life events. And so um, certainly think there's there's some room for improvement as as they age up. Yeah, and and I'm sure um, I don't have the uh, the number in right in front of me for uh, a millennial in California. It's even tougher because uh, mm -hmm. you know how home how high home prices are in California. Mm -hmm. So you know the first time buyer's age as well as um, the age that a millennial will buy a home is probably a little higher. Now, um, I would get that, yeah. yeah. Now I want to uh, bring up the issue with um, the, a couple of the issues that we, that's currently affecting the housing market, and I wanted to get your take on how it might affect mm -hmm. millennial households. A couple mm -hmm. of things that uh, affect the housing market, obviously, we talked about it earlier, um, uh, supply. Uh, we have a very tight supply in the national housing market as well as the state housing market. And then another mm -hmm. thing that affects the, um, the housing market is rising interest rates. So mm -hmm. let's talk about um, the supply first. Now in California, we have a tight supply and the supply side mm -hmm. is specifically tight in the uh, lower price entry level segment. So mm -hmm. do you think that uh, will affect the millennial even more so? And if we don't see an increase or improvement in supply, do you think that will um, kind of hamper their uh, ability to own a home? 
Yeah, so I think that's been one of the big challenges. You mentioned it in California, but that's been, been an issue nationally as well. As um, we, we see tight inventories across the board, but really it's concentrated in those entry-level homes. So that was where a lot of the, the building was during during the boom. And so um, you had a lot of investors come, come in and, and swoop up some of that excess inventory. And so now a lot of those homes are, are still being are still being rented and again with the lower turnover in general where folks just aren't moving up as uh, as frequently um, that's really limited the the supply side for for those entry-level homes so with that that lower supply growth that's of course putting more pressure on on prices and mm -hmm. so it's exacerbating the affordability issue um, even more at the lower end than, than we're seeing in, in some of the the aggregate numbers so if you know we're seeing um you know of course home prices continue to rise and if we're seeing you know rising interest rates you, um it, it seems to be continue to rise uh, at a uh, probably for the rest of the year and maybe even for next year probably for next year now i think mm -hmm. uh, our prediction um is probably somewhat in line with uh, Wells Fargo um, that for the by the end of the year we'll probably will see um, you know a 30 year fixed rate hitting five maybe even higher and maybe for um, 2019 uh, it may increase by uh, you know another 50 basis points 75 basis point or so depending on you know how inflation goes and also you know Fed funds rate mm -hmm. so with interest rate um, not going back down. Um, I mean, of course, we see some fluctuation. The last couple of weeks, we saw a little right. bit of uh, a decline. Mm -hmm. but, but on you know, trend. Yeah. yeah. But as far as the trend is concerned, you know, I think it's uh, safe to say next year and um, you know, by the end of next year, we'll probably see a, a, a higher interest rate, much higher interest rate than what we're seeing now. So with that said, you know, do you think you know, that obviously would affect uh, millennial, even though their, uh, their job outlook is a little bit better mm -hmm. do you think that actually will affect them um, more negatively than um, what we're seeing than in old the outlook of the job market yeah well um well i think they'll still be in in good shape o overall financially but compared to older generations i think that the rise in interest rates is is disproportionately negative for millennials so you know younger buyers are more dependent on on mortgages and we know uh -huh. that buyers tend, tend to shop the payment not the not necessarily just the actual home price and so when they're looking at that payment so not only are our prices continuing to rise with those those low amounts of, of inventory but then that that interest expense portion continues to rise so continues to rise and so um, you know if you're not if you're not a trade-up buyer and you know getting a little bit of equity from your previous home or at least um, pulling out you know potential down payment um, that that does make it even harder for for those first-time home buyers and, and younger younger buyers generally that are, are going to be more dependent on on getting a mortgage hmm. and and I've heard um, from some of our members some of our realtors that said you know of course uh, millennials probably need help from their parents also and some of them are getting help from um, their parents maybe uh, a little bit of help in terms of cash um, maybe for down payment or so now anyone who is listening out there you know our realtors our members um, you definitely need to help out some of your kids um, in order to help <laughs> them uh, to get into the housing market I know our um, home prices uh, 
will continue to rise for the rest of the year, most likely for next year, maybe not as big a, a magnitude as we're seeing in the last couple months or so. But uh, it looks like uh, we definitely need some help, especially since uh, interest rates are rising and uh, millennials are having a tough time. And of course, um, we know that wage growth is improving, um, but it's not going to improve by 10% or it's not going to rise 8 or 9% on, right. on, a, on, a, on a systematic level. So it's hard to, well, it's hard. Uh, I, I'm glad that, you know, um, I'm not a fresh grad right now and, you know, because <laughs> it's going to be a tough, even though I think the outlook is better. Is much better than it is. Yeah, before. I mean, it's, it's definitely the best time to be graduating than any time in in the past ten years. So, um, I think the picture is looking up for for millennials. Um, we've seen it in terms of you know fewer actually living with their with their parents. So mm -hmm. now I think a lot of millennials move straight to straight to apartments after moving out from from their parents' house. But increasingly, we're also seeing some go straight from their parents to to owning a home, where part of the reason they have been living with mom and dad is to actually save for, for that down payment. So I think um, some of the numbers we're seeing in, in terms of percent living at home with, with parents isn't, isn't maybe as bad as it looks. And last year, we actually saw that the share of 25 to 34 year olds living with, with their parents actually declined. So it seems mm. to be like we're, we're taking a step in the right direction. That's good. And a um, couple more uh, questions before we wrap up. I know we're running out of time. Um, but um, now um, I know you said you know the we talked about the out, uh, the outlook the kind of economic outlook is going to be a little bit better and you can't, the millennial probably will continue to buy um, and hopefully you know get some help from their parents and um, now for um, many of the millennial we talked about um, a lot of the millennial that I understand you know they of course they want to live in major metropolitan area do you think um, because of the home prices situation, uh, are, we, are you seeing at the national level that people are actually moving out or are uh, millennials moving out to suburban area or are they actually staying in um, you know, the more city level urban area? Yeah, so we actually are seeing uh, households, young households, but households in general, um, beginning to move out more towards the suburbs. This is actually a trend that, that started a couple years ago, um, even as I think a lot of folks were talking about just, you know, millennials only want to live in, in cities. But we really started to see it um, a couple years ago with the, the older millennials, so those over the age of 30, the ones that were most likely to be married, having children, and actually at a point in their life where they're looking at owning a home. And so we have seen that migration out to the suburbs um, that we've seen in, in previous generation, it looks like millennials are, are doing that too. And I think just given some of the affordability issues, particularly in um, closer closer to center cities, um, are especially making millennials look a, look a little bit harder at that. Yeah, we uh, like. I mean, I can say it for the um, the Bay Area, for example. A lot of people may not be able to afford to live in um, San Francisco or maybe even Santa Clara, and they move a little further out. So that out migration is definitely there, and it's, and I think the housing affordability issue is definitely playing a role for millennial moving out uh, a little further. Um, but it sounds like, you know, based on, you know, our discussions, based on what you have, uh, you're telling me that, you know, we, we should be still very, should we, we should still be very optimistic about, you know, what's going on. Of course, it might be a slow trend, but it looks mm -hmm. like, you know, because uh, their wage growth for millennials is uh, improving 
and they're getting to their age where they need to uh, form a family and buy a house, uh, we should still count on many millennials being homeowners, right? Yeah, I think certainly it's, it's trending in, in the right direction, even though if, if longer term their you know, millennials relationship with housing is going to be a, a little bit different with, than it was for Gen Xers or, or baby boomers, just given that it is going to take them a little bit longer to get into a home, given those, those student debt burdens, um, as well as just those, those later life events, which we talked about. That's good to know. And that's very encouraging for, you know, the um, the, the real estate industry. Um, anything else you want to add to um, the millennial and their uh, mindset on home ownership? No, I think that's great. Great. Well, thank you, Sarah, for um, joining me for the Housing Matters podcast. And um, I'm sure... Um, you know, this time we talk about millennial, maybe next time we can talk a little bit uh, more about some other things regarding the economy and the housing market. But um, sure. I think it's a great discussion and I would love to invite you back uh, in the future if, if that works for you. Yeah, that'd be great. Let me know. Thanks. Thank you, Sarah. Well, thank you everyone for listening in and tuning in. And uh, we definitely will have another update. We'll have another Housing Matters podcast in a couple of weeks or so. So stay tuned. And next time we'll probably will talk a little bit more about, you know, the June data. And also uh, um, this time we really didn't have a chance to talk about the economic update or economic outlook. But uh, rest assured, next time we will tell you a little bit more. Thank you very much for joining. Until next time. Um, have a great weekend, everyone, and I'll, I'll talk to you again next time. Bye-bye.